the Apostle Paul to the Romans. So we're in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. We resume streaming? Yeah, we're good. All right. All right. Yeah, no, just I, I'm, I'm excited because um, this is all uh, an outward evidence of what the Lord's doing uh, internally within refuge. And so that's why I look around and sometimes we um, become familiar with our surroundings and we take it for granted. And so I was just thinking, man, you know, what the Lord's do- doing, we can't take it for granted, nor can we um, overlook it. And that's why I was saying yeah, let's all get into this. Let's 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 all put our hand to uh, doing this work together, and uh, and we'll see what the Lord does uh, in and through that. So this is the mindset. This is the heart set that the Apostle Paul had for the church in Rome. As he wrote this letter, there were some things that I was considering that I was taking a look at as I was preparing for this morning. In the title of this morning's message is "Final Commendations and Warning." Final commendations. And warning, and uh, and we're going to see how that all unfolds and comes together in this final chapter. Now, let's begin by reading. We're going to go back to the beginning of uh, this chapter, or actually, yeah, this. uh, I'm sorry, this letter. So we're going to go to Romans chapter one, and then we're going to read the conclusion. So the introduction is what we're going to read, and then we're going to read the conclusion to this letter. So hold your place there in Romans sixteen. Go to Romans chapter 1, and we're reading verses 1 through 7. All right, verse 1 of Romans chapter 1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we go to Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. And this is the close and the blessing upon the people. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever, evermore, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, as we consider, even we think about this lengthy but necessary introduction and conclusion. 
What it all boils down to is that the Apostle Paul was a man who was transformed. He is a new man in Christ Jesus. And his old purpose, his old focus was on Jesus Christ in fulfilling his will in his life to glorify you. Lord, what we see here is that what you desire is obedience. Lord, we may sacrifice, we may ask for forgiveness, but Lord, that's not what you prefer. What you prefer is that we be wise in discerning. That what was even shared by Tim is what we practice in our own lives. That instead of being disciplined, Lord, we discipline our lives according to your word. That we may humbly yield to your authority. We are governed truly by your word. And that by that, we bring you honor and we bring you glory. Lord, that is what we have before us. That was your desire throughout the whole letter of Paul to the Romans. And so, Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Help us to discern what the Spirit is teaching us this morning according to your word. Help us to receive it, understand it, and apply it. We thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. We begin this morning by reading the introduction and the conclusion to Paul's letter to point out that Paul's purpose of having been appointed as an apostle was abundantly clear to him. He said in verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That is in chapter 1, verse 5. And then we go to chapter 16, verse 26. This is regarding how God's word has been made known to all nations for this purpose, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. He's called us to faith. He's called us to obedience. As his people, that's expected, right? It should be. But notice something here. Is that through you, the blessing of God's word is to take effect in the nation, nation's Everywhere. It's a blessing. God's truth, His wisdom, is to be a blessing to everyone. But listen, the Apostle Paul knew his purpose. It was very clear to him. And he walked it out in his very own life. And this simple purpose and love for Jesus is what he was fixed on, fulfilling each and every day. But I also pointed out so that We are reminded once more and encouraged with knowing something very basic and yet seemingly difficult to consistently work out in our own lives. In the intro and and conclusion, we see that God desires that we mature in his word. That is, knowing, understanding, and applying his word rightly. And to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. How do we do this? We subject ourselves and we put ourselves under the authority of the word of God. How is it expressed? Through our obedience. 
Simple, right? Why is it that he's always calling us to obey his word? Maybe he wants to lord it over us, right? He just wants to prove that he's, he's God and we're not. Is that why he wants to do that? Obey my commandments, obey my commandments, obey my commandments. No, just like mom and dad, obey my commandments, you know? Just because they, they, they want to be known as mom and dad. No? Listen, God continues to communicate that to us because he desires that we would not only be saved, but that we would be blessed and right before him. Living lives full of hope, peace, and joy, no matter what the circumstances of life we are in, are before us, and to simply trust in Jesus Christ in nothing more in no one else, nothing less. Just Jesus Christ. Whenever you find yourself arguing and trying to justify why it is you want to stay in the place that you're in and look to other things to satisfy that issue in your life, you're relying on something outside of Christ. And for the Lord, He gives us instruction. He gives us that peace. He gives us that hope through Jesus Christ. And we are to look to Him and Him alone. This whole letter progressed in the overall theme. The, the overall theme of this letter is the righteousness of God. That was the overall theme of this letter. But it progressed by the laying down of the foundation of doctrine in chapters 1 through 8, in chapters 9 through 11, how this relates to the Jew, and then in verses, in chapters, I'm sorry, 12 through 16, relating this truth to life in a practical sense. How do we apply those truths that we have come to know? And he took the time in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. The Apostle Paul was laying it all out. This is how you apply it. Why? Again, the, the, the question that needs to be answered is why? It's because God wants you to, you to know what we believe, and how to live our faith out. It's not enough just to have head knowledge. We have to know, we have to understand it, and then apply it in our lives for the glory of God, for His name's sake. Obedience to His word begins by believing on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and then continues as our faith grows by the reading, the studying, the application of the word in our lives which is summed up in two verses that are found in the first chapter of this letter. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Summed up in those two verses. With this said, in Paul's letter, after having addressed how the righteous shall live by faith, warning of God's wrath on the unrighteous, explaining God's righteous judgment, God's righteousness, justification by faith, peace with God through faith, 
sin, death, and the free gift of God's grace offered through Jesus Christ, the law and sin. This is all what we've covered, by the way. Life in the Spirit, being heirs of God's riches with Christ, God's sovereignty, God's message of salvation for all, how to be a living sacrifice, the marks of a genuine Christian, the Christian and governing authority, the fulfillment of the law through love, the warning of not causing others to stumble, and finally, Christ our example. Do you realize we've gone through all of that? All of that. After having covered all of this, Paul was finished and he concluded this letter with some final words of encouragement and a final warning and with it instructions. After all, Paul's desire is that they would be wise and that they would be able to discern between what is good and innocent as opposed to what is evil. This is the very thing that God desires for you and I this morning. It's interesting that Paul exemplified this wisdom that he desired the people to have in his closing words. In one chapter, this is exactly what he communicated. Commending what is good and pointing out and warning about what is evil. You ready to perhaps sharpen your skill of discernment? Because that is the very exercise that we're participating in this morning, according to God's word and led by his spirit. Three things, commendations. Number two, warning. And finally, strength and obedience as we close this letter out. Let's begin with the commendations, though. In verse 1 of chapter 16, we read, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Let's stop there. There's much commendation as we continue through the following verses. But let's begin with Phoebe. Paul begins his conclusion by commending Phoebe who was referred to as a servant, but not just any servant. This word that is used by the Apostle Paul to address Phoebe is one that we are very familiar with, and that is deacon. And so the word that he used was that she was referring to her and addressing her as a deaconess, which means that she was more likely serving in some sort of assigned fashion at her church. A deaconess, by the way, would have the same moral standards required of them as her counterparts, the male deacons, would have. And the standard is high. Why is that? I'm just serving in some position within the church. I I love the Lord, and so therefore I'm just doing this, or I'm just doing that. I'm, I'm not... Teaching, I'm not the pastor. So then let me ask you this. For anyone who is just serving in just some place here within the church, are your standards any different from mine? You don't have to answer that, but the answer is clear, right? God's biblical standards are no different. 
for you than they are for me. In fact, the qualifications for a pastor, for a bishop, as we see in 1 Timothy and in Titus, all are reflective of a character that we should all have. It's not, oh, you're a pastor, so you have those restrictions and you have those things applied to you, but not me. If we go through those standards, you, you would see that they should be qualities that we all reflect and possess in our own lives. By the way, a, a deacon is not a pastor. A, a deacon is simply someone who serves within the church. Now, to be addressed as a deacon means that she had some kind of official role in serving within the church. That's all that means. But really, we should all be deacons and deaconesses. We should all be that. After all, we've learned that we are called to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12.1, we covered that, right? Women are not to be pastors or teachers over men. They are not to possess uh, or have authority over men. And this, by the way, is just God's order. Remember, we are to obey him. We can't twist his word. Any church that, that insists on, well, that was in the old times. and you know, No, no, no. It's the true yesterday as it was today and it will be tomorrow. That's just God's order. And, and I desire to just simply obey God's word. We cannot twist it to mean something that it doesn't mean. And so therefore, we just follow it as it is. Because he means what he says and says what he means. Amen? Therefore, women are not to be pastors or teachers over men or to possess authority over men, but they can be deaconesses. And this is simply a person who serves within the church in an assigned position, as I said. For instance, children's ministry, greeter, worship team, sound, CG, etc., and again, if you want to know the qualifications for such a person for such work, take a peek at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, or Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. That applies as well. Let us live up to those standards. Let's, let's, let's raise ourselves to that standard. It's to that bar. Think about that. We don't hold it low. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Don't do that for your kids. Don't do that for anyone else. Oh, we'll overlook that and that and that, you know. And you're holding the bar way down here. Don't do that. Because they'll go ahead and meet those standards. Raise it. Raise it. Now, why is a person that serves in these places within the church important and even vital? We need to answer that question. And this, is, this falls in line with what we just read. This is a commendation of Phoebe. This, this woman that was a blessing to Paul and the church. Why was her role so important and vital within the church? Why is your role so important and vital within this church? Because she, as well as you, facilitate the teaching and the preaching of the gospel. By doing her part and you by doing your part, you allow the teachers and preachers to focus on praying, studying, and preparing for further teaching and preaching, the furtherance of the gospel, and that only benefits you. 
Acts 6, 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. There's, there's much fruit that came because everyone did their part. So hopefully this gives you perhaps a better understanding of, of why Paul was commending his dear sister Phoebe in the faith. She helped many. Directly and indirectly, she helped so many. She ha had no idea um, how many people she impacted and even now her very life is impacting. Think about that. She helped many, including Paul. This was a dear sister of Paul. Paul referred to, she was the first one that he referred to. He wanted the church in Rome to know that she was a faithful servant that could be counted upon to help. Do you come with that kind of recommendation? I remember someone being referred to me and said, you know, this person that you're getting is ready. Use them however you want because he will be a blessing to your church. Not my church, but you get the point. It's Jesus' church, but to our church. That was a high commendation, especially coming from the person it was coming from. I thought, wow, that's, that's awesome. And you know what? It's turned out to be true. To him, much is going to be accounted in the area of spiritual fruit. And I am blessed, and we are blessed for that. His name is written, and all of that was accounted to him, and will continue to as far as, as long as he stays faithful. That's the same of all of us. He goes on, and he addresses Prissa and Aquila. In verse 3, he continues, And greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Stop there. Prissa and Aquila. Are they familiar names? Familiar names. This couple, couple was mentioned in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, verse 18, verse 26, all in that chapter. Uh, they were tent makers by trade. Um, so was the Apostle Paul. Um, as um, they came together, uh, by the way, they were fellow Jews as well. Um, but they came together and they got to know each other in the city of Corinth. That was the Apostle Paul, uh, Aquila, and Priscilla. They, they got to know each other there. Um, they spent a lot of time together. And when Paul left, so did Aquila and Priscilla. They left with them. Um, as they left with them, um, when they stopped in Ephesus, they stayed there. And they actually were used in ministry. And so... Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were used to help Apollos, who apparently was very, very gifted in communicating the gospel, and yet he kind of lacked a little bit, and they took him under their wing and showed him um, the, the word and the gospel uh, a bit better and fuller, and so he was able to communicate it even better. Who knows how many people uh, he was able to impact because of the work that they uh, did on his behalf and for him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is Aquila and Priscilla. 
Now, he also noted them, Paul said here, uh, who, in verse 4, who risked their necks for my life. So, hey, listen, the Apostle Paul didn't overlook the fact that, hey, these two were even willing to risk their very lives for my sake, that the gospel could continue in the manner in which it had been up to that point and would continue even beyond Corinth. So he noted that. In fact, John 15, 13, this is what Jesus said. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. These were two really true friends, Aquila and Priscilla, who were willing to even lay down their lives for the sake of their friend Paul. Now, my thoughts. They... Aquila and Priscilla did with Apollos what the Apostle Paul had done with them. They followed the example of Paul with them and then applied that to their relationship and interaction with Apollos. What they learned, they were even teaching others through the fellowship, through the local church they had in their own home as we learned that. In that time, they didn't have buildings that they gathered in. In fact, that was dangerous in that day. They would gather in homes. And this is what they had in their home. They had a church. By the way, this is why it's important to know that a local fellowship should be intimate. Friendships are to be made and developed. And the love of Christ is to be shared like a family amongst each other. We put up with each other. We... Uh, we laugh, we praise God, and we cry, and we mourn together. That is what the body of Christ is to do together. And that's why I encourage that within this fellowship. Why? Because it's a family, and we have to insist it's a family. Why? Not because I say it's a family, but because God says it's a family, and because we have we see evidence of that very truth here in the Word of God. You go back to Acts chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and you see the same thing. It's a family atmosphere. It's, it's sharing life together. It's doing life together. You can't do that if you're closed up or isolated. Remove yourself from the fellowship. You can't do that, can you? Try doing that within your own family. You're like, well... Son, if you chose to leave and go somewhere else and man up, go do it. Right? Now, family comes together. And I say that because as our children get older at some point, they are in and out and sometimes they rebel and they think they can do whatever they want to do. Well, we've had experience in that. And they had, experience, had to experience things on their own. You can't be a family when people are t- going this way or the other. You can't do that. For us as a church, we need to act like a family. Come together and grow together. Do life together. Because it is a family. There is this lesson, though, learned by contrasting this couple with another couple. Perhaps in your mind, you've already been thinking about this other couple. There's Aquila and Priscilla, and then there's maybe some of you already, who? Another couple to contrast them with? No, the Lord's not. What? Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira. 
in Acts chapter 5. Listen, one couple served... This is, this is a great lesson for us to learn as, as married uh, couples, all right? Think about this. One couple served the Lord together, teaching and building others up, and the other couple wanted to look good to the church, did nothing, and conspired to lie, finding themselves judged immediately. Do you think it's any different today? Nope, it's not. It is absolutely not. Why am I so confident of that? Because it's here in the Word. And yet here are Priscilla and Aquila being commended. There's a reason for this. The difference in couples needs to be noted. The warning needs to be heeded. And we need to choose who we are to be or who we're going to be and continue to be and be encouraged if we are in that place to where we're united in the Lord and serving him together. It's amazing what work can be done by a couple that is given to serving God together. But what destruction and trouble comes to those who are unequally yoked with someone who could care less about God or the ministry and is even discouraging the other to not serve or even worse, who are both united in being destructive within the church they profess to love. Listen, I'm... You got to know, if you're new this morning and you're hearing this message and something like this for the first time, you all know that I've been here for a while at Refuge, that I just teach the word as it is, right? And if it's hard to listen to, then perhaps it's because there's strong conviction by the Holy Spirit, because this is simply God's word. You okay with that? I hope so, because that's all I can give you. Listen, the commendations are to be noted and encouraged by. After all, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. A good way of knowing whether you as a couple are an example of one couple or the other is to ask yourself some questions. Through me. Through us, are people growing closer to Jesus because of your ministry or are you pulling them away from him and towards something else or someone else or toward you? Is your focus to appear to be good or is your focus to exalt the name of Jesus at your expense and by your sacrifice and by your example of humility, patience, grace, mercy, and personal obedience to the word? Those are questions that we ought to be asking. And it's quite clear if we look around us as to what's happening in our lives. What are we surrounded with? Are we pointing people and encouraging people and bringing them to Christ in the fellowship of the saints and the building of the church? Or do we see those that we're surrounded with and participating with drawing away? Those are clear indicators. It's Something very practical. We can't fool ourselves. We, sometimes we try and like, oh, I don't want to pay attention to that. Let's just come to church again. Right? Pay attention to your life. Please pay attention to your life. 
it, it's, it's us personally that at some point we're going to have to give account. You're going to have to give an account of your own life before God. Let's continue with the commendations and then we'll go on from there. Verse 5. Let's begin again. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved uh, Stanky. Oh, well, that's not Stanky. <laughs> Stanky. Why, oh, these glasses are... <laughs> Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those who those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. We greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Christ greet you. Something to note, Paul knew them all by name. He made references to their service and notably their impact to the church or him personally. He noted all of those things. What a, a beautiful thing to be noted in that manner. Just, just a mention like that. Scripture, this is the word of God. This has been read Thousands of millions of times. These sincere words serve to build them up in the Lord, paying compliments to them personally and publicly. Genuine, holy, and pure affection was also shown. Um, as we go through all those commendations, we get to the final portion to where he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. That, that was an outward expression of, of just affection. It was a beautiful affection, but we need to understand, hey, listen, it was genuine, it was holy, it was pure. And the common greeting in that day was a holy kiss. For us, it may be a, a hug and a good, strong handshake. We just like to do it. We're affectionate toward each other. But make sure that it's genuine, holy, and pure. And Paul, after all of this, and you can go through and read about these different people that he addressed and he referred to. But I, I hope the point is made, though, as to why it was he was addressing and making reference to these people. But Paul had to address one last issue. More importantly, he addressed the issue as he was used by the Spirit to write the very breath of God, the very word of God. He was compelled to write and address this issue with a warning. 
Verse 17, as we continue, says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, uh, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus and uh, the city treasurer and our brother Cordus greet you. The Apostle Paul begins this section with these words, I appeal to you. I seriously urge you. Listen, we can expect attacks from the outside, right? They're, they're expected from the world, from people who don't know uh, the Lord. and we, we can expect those attacks, right? But listen, influences from the world can, can work to draw us away from the Lord, and they can be effective within the church. But do we expect these things to happen within the church? The answer should be, I mean, we should say no, right? We, we don't expect it to be from within the church, but time and time again, we're warned. We're, we're warned. In fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. I know, again, we want to think that within the church, there's no possible way. We see things happen and we think, man, you know what's happening? A bunch of hypocrites within the church. No, some of them can maybe are not even of the church. And some can be used by the enemy within the church. That's why we need to be aware of ourselves. Listen, we were warned plenty of times by both Jesus, Paul, and the other apostles, and throughout Scripture, we, we have been amply warned. Acts chapter 20, verse 26 says, Therefore I testify uh, to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. By, uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to, the, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Therefore be alert, remembering that for twelve years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I just am making reference to the last twelve years that the word has been taught here. In verse 32 he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
The Apostle Paul, after having said all of that and warning them, he says, I commend you to God. Listen, you have nothing to come back to me about at all. I, I instructed you. I taught you. I warned you. Therefore, I commend you to God. You're in his hands. You know, in Matthew 18, it is Jesus who told us how to deal with offenses within the church. These were instructions given by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, uh, Jesus also tells us how to deal with offenses against each other in that section of Scripture. Why is that? Why? Because people were going to rise up within the church who needed to be addressed, confronted. Restoration is what's desired. Listen, as I quote a good friend of mine, trust no one. And I say that uh, in a joking way and at the same time not in a joking way. Because we, everyone needs to be discerning with each other. This is my point. You need to be discerning. In other words, all right, trust each other, but be able to discern when your really close friend is in a wrong place, is in sin. Please, be a good friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy is what the proverb says. Be willing to what you discern address and call out your friend. Like, that's not right. Because these things we have been warned of. It's going to happen. How you handle it is what is of great importance to the Lord. Listen, we just covered 16 verses of commendations, but all of that can be destroyed by one person, one person who is undermining a local church by causing divisions and undermining the ministry. Did you know that? We could be sitting in a wonderful place, like, oh, the church is doing so well, and one person undermining uh, spreading gossip and doing all kinds of things and not adhering to the very word of God can completely destroy a local church if allowed to continue. How do they do it? Are they promoting unity of the church and the furtherance of the gospel? This is all for dis- exercising or, or improving our skill of discernment. Are they promoting unity of the church and then the furtherance of the gospel under the leadership of the local church? Or are they dividing it, instead promoting doubt and spreading rumors about the leadership and others within the church? Just some things to think about. This should be your questions that you ask to discern one another and the things that we participate in. If you hear this, Are you discerning and strong enough in the word to insist on addressing this with the person they are gossiping about? And if not, do you expose them by telling the person they are complaining about? Remember, remember this, okay? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I cannot warn you enough. 
Because sometimes there is much destruction that happens in the rest of the body. By the time it reaches that specific person, it was actually attacking its wreaked havoc. You know, by the time some diseases reach the very tip of this finger, it's traveled throughout the whole body and it's, it's too late. It's too late. Listen, I, I'm not making this stuff up. And I've experienced much in my time in ministry. It's all in God's word right before us. We need to put our big boy pants on and think about glorifying God and serving Christ with our very own lives, denying ourselves and doing things according to God's word if we are even remotely interested in blessing him. Are you setting up obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught? In other words, is what you're doing in the lives of others encouraging them to live out the foundational principles of God's word, or are you in the way of them living them out by encouraging them to sin and do what is contrary to the word? You know, sometimes we make light of this, like it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. It's not a joke. God, God doesn't take it lightly. Paul tells us here, if you have someone like that, avoid them. And then we ask the question, what does this mean? This can't possibly mean, like, you're talking like, Paul shun them? Is that what that means? To, to like completely disregard them? Like a, avoid them. I don't know how else to put it. I don't think it really needs more explanation, right? But I will. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. This is how you are to deal with issues. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Right? So this is private. Begins with just you. So now you've learned. Do not go running to someone else. Run straight to that person. That's putting our big boy pants on. All right? Go straight to that person. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But... If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Notice, you're still going to that person. Right? Take others along with that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, avoid them. Avoid them. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, uh, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I, I read the rest of it because I want to say this. Sometimes we refer to verse 20 as uh, prayer. How, how many of us have said, oh, we're two or three are gathered there. Jesus is in our midst. Is he not in our midst if we're alone? Right? Yes. 
He's with us. He says he loves us with an everlasting love. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. This verse does not refer to that. This verse refers to a judgment that is made by the leadership of the church. And he says, what you agree on earth, it, it is agreed in heaven, as long as it's in agreement with the word of God. If it's bound on earth, it is bound in heaven. In other words, even if you move churches, that judgment still stands. It's still there. You can't run from it because we can't run from God. That's what that means in context. A a, a verse that is taken out of context can be used as a pretext for whatever it is that you want to say. Just know that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, this is addressing this once again. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Hey, listen. There has to be purity that is maintained within the body of Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul was addressing. Listen, we, of course, we uh, bring in those who are not of the Lord. Why? So that they'll hear the gospel, that they'll hopefully at some point surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, right? But we do not condone. This, is, this has to do with the body. If something like this is happening within the body, that person needs to be addressed. Why? Because this is important. The body of Christ is should be holy and righteous, set apart to the Lord and glorifying to him. And if that person remains in that place, then we are to avoid them. Avoid them. That is what the word tells us. And both Jesus and Paul were referring to brothers again within the church and how to handle them. But maybe we can still be friends on social media or have lunch every now and then, right? We can still gather together with them. Avoid them. No. Why? It's because we want that person to understand the gravity of their insistence on their sin purpose of it. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But hopefully they'll come to a place to where they they realize it. They're not enjoying the fellowship of the saints. No one will give them the time of day. And only then can they get to a place where they're deeply convicted and have a genuine moment of repentance. I also want to say this. If I hear of someone causing divisions and creating obstacles contrary to sound doctrine, if it is not settled and taken care of correctly, then I have a responsibility. I will be held accountable to address that matter and judge it. Not judging the person as far as condemnation is concerned or the people. I have a responsibility to judge the matter. 
and make sure that this fellowship is what it should be. That's my responsibility. Any, any pastor that, that ignores stuff like that uh, is not following through with their, their pastoral duties of shepherding the church. They are responsible for it. Paul goes on to say that such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. The way they fool people is by, and, and it's, it's all here in Romans chapter 16, is by sounding good. They, it says here, smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the, the heart of the naive. The naive. A naive person is one who lacks experience, wisdom, or judgment. That's all that says. A naive person is one who lacks experience, lacks wisdom, and lacks judgment. If you cannot discern, then you obviously lack judgment. And so therefore, we are to grow in our understanding of God's word so that we can judge the matter, discern between good and evil, and then we can make choices that fit the word, God's truth, and we glorify the Lord. What Paul desires is what you would be obedient, that we would be obedient, that we would, as a church, be obedient and wise, being able to discern between what is good and innocent and what is evil. And what is evil was just described. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to sound doctrine. And as he says that, he also wants to give an encouragement. Be encouraged as you do grow in Christ as you mature, knowing that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, is what he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. How can we do this? And this is how he closes. In verse 25, it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ is our strength as he strengthens us, so we express that. Only by God's strength, according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to God's will. He said according to three times, right? In reference to God's word. We... We need to hold God's word above all else because it is by it that we are corrected, made right before the Lord, and we are strengthened. It's brought about, and we are strengthened according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according, again, to God's word. And by knowing it and obeying it, we know and can possess that strength necessary to bring him glory in all circumstances. I want to close with, by reading two verses that we already went over in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Heavenly Father, we have just read the conclusion to Paul's letter to the Romans. That is the, the church in Rome. Lord, we, uh, we know what Rome was like. We read how 
Corinth was and Ephesus and all the various places that churches were planted in and the church was alive and well, much like the day in which we live in today. Our Lord Jesus, as he was praying to the Father, to you, he said he doesn't desire that you would take us out of the world. He knows, you know, that we're in the world, but, now we're, we're, but we're not of the world. And so I ask, Lord, that we would not insist on bringing the world into the church. Our attitudes, our perspectives, our standards, Lord, should be such that reflect your word in our lives and how we speak and how we behave toward one another and in ourselves. And so, Father, help us to have the mind of Christ. Help us to bring you glory. Let, let, let these teachings, Lord, and our time with you in, in your word not, not be vanity, not, not be a waste, Lord. Let us be obedient to you and help us to be obedient to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Convict us of our sin. Help us to repent. And, Lord, stand rightly before you. So strengthen your church. Lord, it is by these times that we are strengthened. So I pray, Father, that the commendation that we heard about all these people, Lord, that perhaps that would be us. Lord, I pray that we would desire to be commended by you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, we want to hear those words. So help us, Lord, to be those people that bless and honor you. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your grace your mercy and your patience with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.